Inside the scarred up heart Inside a raging storm The word is angered Cause Satan has declared a war I'll fight this battle, Lord Because you're worth fighting for I pledge my undying love to you Yes, friends, Jesus is worth fighting for. And Dennis and Leslie McKay has been in a struggle for their lives, and they're going to share their story today, and it's called I Hate COVID, and I know you do too. So stay tuned. We're going to have a great program with Dennis and Leslie McKay, the McKay Project. They are partners with us here at Lonesome Road Ministry. me free, so I'm honored to struggle, Lord, cause even in my toughest battles, you're worth fighting for. It was by your stripes that I was healed For this mighty army you will build I'll fight this battle, Lord Cause you're worth fighting for I pledge my undying love to you You died for me Though I led such a shameful life set me free So I'm honored to struggle Lord Cause even in my toughest battles You're worth fighting for You died for me Though I led such a shameful life Grace has set me free I'm honored to struggle, Lord, cause even in my toughest battles, you're worth fighting for. Hey friends, you're going to enjoy today's program. We got some great music by the McKay Project, and you're going to hear the story of uh, Dennis and Leslie McKay's recent struggle that they had with COVID, and you're going to find out a whole lot about the McKay Project. And we're going to start today's program with uh, one of my favorite songs by Dennis and Leslie. The first time I heard this, I fell in love with this song, and I fell in love with this couple. And it's I Still Believe. Here's the McKay Project. I heard Jesus turn the water into wine. Made the lane to walk and gave sight to the blind With my own eyes these things I didn't see Oh, still 
still I believe I believe that Jesus died for my sins Was buried and on the third day rose again I believe someday his face I'm gonna see I'll admit I don't know how this could be I know you enjoyed that song and you're really going to enjoy this song here by the McKay Project, Dennis and Leslie McKay, and it's called Loving You. This is a powerful, powerful song you're just going to love. In the daily rush of living Sometimes I forget What my life was like Before we met It's strange and kind of scary To think where I might be If by chance I had missed The opportunity Of loving you It's more dreamed of loving you really opened up my eyes I caught a glimpse of heaven the moment that I knew that I would be forever 
from Leslie McKay. COVID. 
The COVID virus and all of its variants have turned so many lives upside down over the last two and a half years. Very few have escaped its effects. And until January 12, 2022, I thought we might get through this ordeal without COVID coming to our house, but I was so wrong. My name is Leslie McKay. My husband is Dennis McKay. We live in Columbus, Mississippi. I'm 51 and Dennis is 66. I work for a local real estate company called Hometown Realty, and Dennis owns a professional teaching and recording studio called Studio 115A. Between the two of us, we have four grown daughters, 11 grandchildren, and one great-grandchild. And we've been married for almost 12 years. On January 12, 2022, the COVID virus came into our house, and it has been a roller coaster ride since that day. Now, I realize there are thousands upon thousands of COVID stories that can be told, and many of us are just sick of talking about COVID. My hairdresser has a handwritten sign on his mirror that you can see when you sit down in his chair that says, Do we really have to talk about COVID? Aren't there other interesting things that we can discuss? While I will share the details of our experience, my hope is to provide encouragement, compassion, and insights through our experience that may resonate with somebody out there. There is so much more to our story than just the facts about the story. It goes much deeper than oxygen readings, CT scans, blood work, x-rays, temperature, pulse rates, steroids, antibiotics, and so on and so on. It's about being human. It's about being fearfully and wonderfully made by our Creator. On January 12, 2022, Dennis and I both went to the local urgent care clinic, and he tested positive for covid and I tested negative. Both of us had symptoms like a terrible cold or a sinus infection, except he was already running fever. We got meds and we went home and we hunkered down to try and ride this out for the next five days. By Monday, he was doing well with the exception of a lingering cough. I was about two days behind him on my recovery, but all in all, we were ready to resume life as usual. However, that was not how things worked out. In the wee early hours of January 20th, Dennis woke up freezing and sweating and shaking all over. He had a temperature of 102.5 plus. We didn't know what in the world was going on. The fever was his only symptom except for that lingering cough. Let me pause and say that I am an avid reader, a lifelong learner, and like a sponge when it comes to topics of interest to me. I always have a couple of good books I'm working on, usually one to two podcasts that I follow, a couple of telegram channels I check out on a daily basis, and I subscribe to the Epic Times. So I've been very involved in keeping up with all things COVID, whether it related to health or politics or public opinion. At that moment, though, I was at a loss. We were done with COVID, right? I hadn't really studied what can happen after you get over COVID. We went back to the local urgent care clinic, and that lingering cough had become double pneumonia. We got more meds, and we went home. And 24 hours later, we found ourselves in the ER, and Dennis was being admitted with COVID pneumonia. I had no idea when they wheeled him back into the ER that I would not see him again for two days, 48 hours. You know, I think I can count on one hand the number of nights that we have spent apart in 12 years. I was stunned and mad, upset and scared. I was a ball of emotion when that nurse came out and coldly delivered the news about him being admitted and then proceeded to ask me for his overnight bag. I know I probably didn't act very Christian when I expressed to her my utter disgust with the policies. I let her know that we have had numerous acquaintances that have gone to the hospital with COVID only to never come home and they die alone because they're separated from their families. I made sure she knew that I did not want Dennis to be one of those statistics. Needless to say, the response that I got was, he will have his phone, you can FaceTime him. I really wanted to punch her lights out. What can I say? I am just being real and transparent. 
I'd already made up my mind a long time ago when the whole pandemic started that I was going to fight for my loved ones if we found ourselves in this situation, and here we were. I remember walking out to my car, and it was windy and bitterly cold. I sat in the parking lot until I knew Dennis was in a room and settled for the night. I think I could have just slept in that parking lot in my car, but he insisted that I go home. Over the next 48 hours, they gave him antibiotics, steroids, and thankfully he was breathing on his own. However, on Sunday, when he began moving around to get ready to go home, he started having trouble breathing. His oxygen saturation levels were in the upper 80s to lower 90s, so they ordered an oxygen setup for us to take home, and he was told to use it as needed. They sent us home with a machine that would produce up to 5 liters of oxygen and told us to use 2 liters as needed. However, once we got home, instead of getting better, he got worse and ended up needing oxygen all the time, and at a level more like 4 liters. Plus, his O2 levels were steadily dropping. On Wednesday morning, we went back to the ER, and this time it was much different. They took him straight back, and this time I was at his side. Medical personnel swarmed that ER room, and they were all over him, taking blood, getting vitals, giving meds, changing out his oxygen to high flow, and getting more tests set up. After another CT scan, the ER doctor told us that the COVID pneumonia had spread and Dennis had developed blood clots in his lungs. He was in acute respiratory failure, and he was septic. He was being admitted to the ICU. And once again, I found myself leaving the hospital without Dennis, but this time, it was very uncertain if he would ever come home. I began calling and texting and messaging people of faith and prayer warriors that we know asking for prayer. We saw the church in motion, and I'm not talking about the people that attend the local brick-and-mortar building in our town. I'm talking about the body of believers in Jesus Christ throughout the country that God had allowed us to meet and become friends with over the last 12 years. The prayers started going up, and we knew heaven was being bombarded by people interceding on Dennis's behalf. It's an understatement to say that emotions and stress levels were running high. We found ourselves in survival mode. Dennis trying to physically survive, and I was trying to keep it together mentally and emotionally. At that time, we needed others on the outside to step in and help us, and thankfully, God did that. He brought compassionate, tenacious, and wise people to us at just the right time to help us. People that showed up at critical times along the way to do things that we could not. Let's just call them divine setups. Divine setup number one, did I happen to mention that the ER doctor is a parent of one of Dennis's guitar students? What a welcome sight that was amidst all the chaos. For the first two days that Dennis was in ICU, I spoke with him often by phone and FaceTime since I was not allowed to go on the floor. He had a fantastic team of ICU doctors, respiratory therapists, a day nurse, and a night nurse. I called before the end of each nurse's shift to get an update on his progress and work to keep the family updated. I had the hospital app on my phone, so every time there was a test result or a doctor entered a note in his chart, I got a notice and I could look at his records. I got a crash course in medical terminology and reading test results. At this point, Dennis was on high-flow oxygen, which looked like a gigantic nose cannula. His blood pressure, oxygen, and heart rate were being constantly monitored. At this point, he was unable to walk or stand up, even with the help of a nurse. He couldn't talk much. His appetite was okay, but not great, and he said everything tasted like cardboard. He was on a regular rotation of steroids, antibiotics, and blood thinner shots. His vitals seemed to be okay if you only looked at the numbers. However, the mental and emotional toll of being alone in that sterile room, coupled with struggling to breathe and dealing with his anxiety at night, was almost more than he could take. He called me in the early hours of day three in ICU, and all he could say was, Baby, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. In my mind, what I heard was, I'm so tired and I think I'm going to give up. 
He was not in a good place mentally. I was very worried. I knew something had to happen. I knew I had to see him. At this point, he was 18 days from his first positive COVID test. Surely that was enough days to allow me to see him. Divine setup number two. The mom of one of Dennis's students is a nurse at the hospital, and she's been working with COVID patients for the last two and a half years. After we got home from the hospital the first time, she felt compelled to reach out to us to see how Dennis was doing. When she found out that he was not improving, she made it her mission to come alongside us and do whatever she could to help. She was invaluable with advice and so instrumental in the decision to return to the ER. The morning of day three in ICU, I reached out to her and told her about Dennis's state of mind and she was very concerned. She went above and beyond, made phone calls to people in charge, and got me approved to go on the ICU floor to see Dennis. I was going to be able to sit outside his room and at least see him through the glass. I was ecstatic. By 9.30 that morning, I was on my way to see my husband. When I got to the ICU, I was met by his day nurse who showed me to Dennis's room. Words cannot describe the look on his face or the feeling of being able to see him even if it was through the glass. While they were getting me a chair to sit in and I was using my phone to call and talk with him, another member of his ICU team came up and introduced herself. She proceeded to tell me that they were going to allow me to suit up in PPE and go inside his room and see him. I couldn't get the PPE on fast enough. I couldn't believe it. Then if that wasn't enough, the nurse manager came by and introduced herself and told me to stay as long as I wanted. This was incredible. From that point on, I was there every day. I'd arrive in the morning, stay until the evening, go home to sleep, and come back the next day. You know, truly, that was the turning point in Dennis's recovery. Good mental health and human touch are absolutely necessary in the recovery from COVID. You will never convince us otherwise because we witnessed such an improvement in Dennis's condition. God did not create us to be alone. He created us to be with others and care for each other. When God looked at Adam and said, It is not good for man to be alone, perhaps he was also referencing mankind. It is not good for mankind or humans to be alone. COVID patients need their family with them for their survival. I'm sure some of you have watched the series Alone, where they take 10 physically fit, healthy, strong survivalist types and drop each of them in a wilderness area by themselves. They have to survive alone and stay out there longer than the others to win a big prize. If you've seen the show, then you know that the thing that makes even the strongest break is loneliness and how terribly they miss their family and friends. The guy or girl you just know will never break ends up tapping out and going home. They just can't handle it. Imagine what that's like when you start that journey in the wilderness sick from COVID and not knowing if you're going to live or die and you don't have the option of tapping out to be able to see your family. The mental and emotional toll is unbelievable. I'm just so incredibly thankful that I was able to go to Dennis at a critical moment in his survival. Dennis continued to improve, and on day four in the ICU, we met another pulmonologist on his team. When he saw Dennis, his first words were, Man, you don't look anything like your CT scan. He was remarkably surprised at his progress. I think day four is when we both realized just how incredibly sick and close to death Dennis was when he was admitted to ICU. The pulmonologist said the words acute respiratory failure and septic out loud to us. He told us that many people who come into the ICU in the same condition as Dennis don't go home. It was a very sobering day for both of us. Dennis still wasn't out of the woods, but things were going in the right direction. I think back now, and I believe that God was protecting us from truly realizing the seriousness of the situation while we were in the middle of chaos and uncertainty of returning to the ER. He knew we were handling all that we could at the moment. When it was time and we were ready to receive it, he revealed more to us. He has been so gracious and merciful to us. Divine Setup Number 3 
The last night that Dennis was in ICU, his night nurse changed and I stayed until the new nurse came on duty and administered his nightly meds. I wanted to meet the new nurse and honestly, I needed to feel comfortable with this new person. I couldn't tell you her name, but she was from Nigeria and told us she knew her accent was thick and to let her know if we needed her to repeat anything. She was aware of Dennis's struggle with anxiety, especially at night while trying to sleep. She began talking about how we were not going to let fear overtake things. She began describing fear like a lion, and then she slipped up and said, the devil, and caught herself. But we told her it was fine. We are believers. Well, then it was on. She started quoting scriptures and talking about Jesus and his power. She told us she knew that it was no coincidence that she was Dennis's nurse that night, and we agreed. I was perfectly comfortable leaving Dennis that night. He was in good hands. Dennis told me the next day that each time she came in during the night to give meds or check on him, she would pray over the meds before she gave them to him. God is so good. On day five, Dennis was moved from ICU to a regular room. At this point, he was still on high-flow oxygen. His appetite was better. His O2 levels were in the upper 90s, but he had not been out of bed in five days and was still unable to walk or stand up. When it got time to move out of ICU, we found out that he was going to the COVID floor, where he had been during the previous stay in the hospital. This meant a whole new team of doctors and nurses. There were rumblings about the possibility that I might not get to stay with him. Once again, I reached out to my nurse friend who made a couple of calls, and I was given permission to stay. What a relief. I know that the last two and a half years have wreaked havoc on our medical professionals, especially nurses. Hospitals are short-staffed, and nurses are overworked and exhausted. I am so thankful for those that have hung in there despite all the odds and been true to their calling, because being a good nurse is a calling that God equips them to perform. While he was in ICU, Dennis had a team of doctors solely working the ICU. He had the same day nurse and the same night nurse several days in a row. The nurses had two to three patients assigned to them. Dennis was checked on often, and they responded quickly if he needed anything, food, a drink, pillow, bathing, toileting, meds, respiratory check, etc. In addition, anytime I had a question about his medical care or a test result, they were readily available to answer. However, when we got to the COVID floor, we quickly realized this was going to be quite different than ICU. I was about to get a crash course in what it means to be a caretaker for my husband. You know, when you're pregnant, you have nine plus months to prepare mentally and emotionally for the fact that you're going to be the sole caretaker for another life. You know that you'll be the one responsible for making sure that the little one eats, sleeps, bathes, poops, wears clothes, stays healthy, and gets from point A to point B. You realize that this will be the way it is for quite a number of years. However, when in just a matter of hours, your spouse goes from being a strong, healthy, independent adult to not being able to walk or stand, bathe, use the bathroom, or dress himself, it will rock your world. You have no time to prepare for this, and that's where we found ourselves. In the days and weeks to come, my sole quote-unquote job would be one of waiting on and taking care of Dennis. Everything else that I knew was put on hold, and that was okay. It was about doing what was necessary to make sure he got well. I often think about that scripture that says, love your neighbor as yourself. I think our first neighbor that we should love as ourselves is our spouse. In my mind, this was my way to serve my spouse at a time when he needed me the most. Granted, there were days when I was utterly exhausted and I would get so cranky. I'd sit down to rest and he would need a drink or a blanket or medicine or the oxygen adjusted. My body ached from lack of rest, and my neck and shoulders were so sore from holding in the tension. But our situation was one in which my full-time caretaking lasted for a few weeks. What about those that are full-time caretakers for another person 100% of the time, and they don't expect to get well or become independent again? How do they do it? How do they keep from going crazy? I really hope that God will allow me to be more aware of those around me that are full-time caretakers who may need an encouraging word or even a break to energize or rest. 
The regular room on the COVID floor was much larger and more comfortable with a couch, a couple of recliners, a large window, and a private bathroom. In this room, Dennis was no longer on a monitor for his pulse, blood pressure, or oxygen. We'd grown accustomed to watching those numbers on a regular basis to know if things were going well or not. The only machine he was hooked to was the high-flow oxygen, and if he needed anything and I wasn't there, he had to push the call button. It made us a bit anxious. He was still unable to walk or stand. It took us a bit to get settled and get things that he needed, like gowns, socks, sheets, blankets, bathing supplies, bedpans, water pitchers, etc. There was a new schedule for eating, taking meds, checking vitals, adjusting oxygen, and seeing the doctors. Someone usually came around about once every four hours. So, in between, it was me and him. I keep going back to how important it is for COVID patients to have an advocate. They need someone that knows what their normal looks like and how they were before getting sick. They need someone that will ask questions and help with decision making. You've probably heard the term COVID brain or brain fog as it relates to COVID and it is real. I think back to day two in the ICU before I was able to be with Dennis. I talked to him and he could not remember if he had seen the doctor that day or not. He couldn't remember who had come in and out of his room. As I mentioned earlier, the hospital has an app that allowed me to view his chart on my phone and see the doctor's notes each time they visited. On that day, I realized just how impossible it was for Dennis to think clearly. I checked the app and discovered that doctors and respiratory therapists had been to visit him, discussed care with him, and he had no idea. That was the moment when it was necessary for me to pick up the phone and call the nurse's desk and speak with a member of his medical team. I let them know that I had to be involved in any discussions regarding his care because he was not in a position to be able to remember, comprehend, or make decisions. They were very receptive and apologetic, and from that point forward, I was very involved. I realized that there was a time, maybe before the Internet, when people revered doctors like they did preachers. You didn't second-guess the doctor, ask any questions, and you trusted whatever the doctor said, just like preachers. In my opinion, there is still a generation of older folks that still subscribe to that way of thinking. However, while I highly respect the doctors and medical professionals and appreciate their expertise, I'm of the generation that believes it's okay to be active in your own care. It's okay to ask questions about the course of treatment. This was Dennis's life that we were talking about, and I needed to understand what was going on with him and why. I needed to know when things changed in his care and why. I knew at some point we were going home, and I needed to understand what kind of care he was going to need at home, what the schedule was going to be for medicines, and how to administer those meds. It wasn't about me thinking I knew more than the doctors or the medical staff. It was about me being able to understand so that I could come alongside them and provide care for my husband. There is so much more to say about the stay in the hospital, but this has taken up enough time, so I guess I should probably land this plane. Over the next week, we would celebrate many small victories. I reached out to several people one day and asked specifically for prayer that Dennis would be able to stand just a few minutes beside the bed. He'd been in the bed for six to seven days and was too weak to stand up even with help. On that day, he was able to stand for 15 minutes. Physical therapy started working with him, and we were celebrating being able to take 20 steps with a walker around the room. We celebrated being able to take a real shower and being able to wash his hair. You just don't realize how much breath it takes to do simple things like stand up and sit down, roll over in the bed, put on your clothes, take a shower, or walk across the room. On February the 5th, we celebrated coming home. It was a great day, and we were so thankful. We're thankful for the numerous individuals that came alongside us in so many ways to support us and show their love throughout this whole ordeal. One thing we have realized is how incredibly important it is to reach out to those around us who are in need or hurting. It has meant so much to us. And it doesn't have to be a big gesture, but it just needs to be something. I know many times in the past we talked ourselves out of reaching out to somebody because we were either uncomfortable with the situation or we thought that probably they had plenty of other people helping them, or we thought they didn't really need it. That was wrong. 
People need to know they are not alone in their situation. We've decided to do better going forward. We can't say how blessed and thankful we are for those that reached out to us, cared for us, and showed love. Our journey continues, and coming home has had its own celebrations, challenges, and setbacks. But Dennis is doing well. He is alive. God saved his life. At times, while talking over a cup of coffee, he and I have pondered why he survived and so many others have not. During the time Dennis was sick and in the hospital, there were three other precious people we knew who did not survive. And we don't have the answer. We're just thankful. We know our journey is not over, and we are looking to God to show us our next steps. To God be the glory.
Howdy everybody, I hope you're doing good today. This is Dennis McKay with Lonesome Road Ministries. When those bad things start happening, how do we respond? I would bet many of us try to start figuring out why they're happening. Was it something I did? Is someone else doing this to me? What did I do wrong? Why am I being punished? Have you ever stopped to consider that Maybe the bad situation is not happening to you, but for you. Yeah, let me repeat that one. Maybe the bad situation is not happening to you, but for you. I know you're probably thinking, man, you need to explain that one. Well, what if instead of viewing the bad situation as something out to get you and take you down, you viewed it as an opportunity? An opportunity to go a different direction, an opportunity to make a change in your life, or an opportunity to impact others around you. You have probably all heard the saying, necessity is the mother of invention. Or when the going gets tough, the tough get going. I know we've all heard that one. I'm reminded of a story in the Bible about a guy named Joseph. Talking about some really bad stuff happening to him. He was next to the youngest and had 11 brothers. On top of that, he was his father's favorite, and the whole family knew it. One day, his brothers decided to sell him into slavery and told their father that a wild animal had killed him. Initially, Joseph, he served in the house of military officer and gained favor with the officer and was put in charge of the house and the property. However, the officer's wife had her eye on Joseph and trying to make the move on him, and he turned her down. So she accused him of rape, and he landed up in prison for most of his young life. Pretty bad situation. However, Joseph trusted in God, and he used his time in prison as an opportunity to gain favor with the warden, the guards, and other prisoners. Eventually, Joseph even gained favor with the king, when he interpreted a dream about a coming famine. The king put him in charge of the court, and the only person with more power than Joseph was the king himself. So what about Joseph's brothers? Well, because of the coming famine, Joseph made plans for his country to store up food in preparation. His brothers and father lived in a country that did not prepare, and when the famine happened, they came to Joseph and asked for food. However, they didn't know it was Joseph, but he knew who they were. He was now a very powerful man and could have really taken revenge on them for the wrong that they had done to him so many years ago. Instead, Joseph gave them food, refunded their payment for the food, forgave them their wrong, and eventually moved them to a home near his. When Joseph revealed his identity to his brothers, they were afraid. But Joseph told them, yeah, I don't need to be afraid. He told them that what they did was intended for evil, but God intended it all for good. God brought Joseph to a position to save the lives of many people, including his brothers. Again, maybe whatever bad situation you may find yourself in, is happening for you and not to you. Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that you should jump for joy or that it's easy when life throws you a curveball. I'm saying that we have a choice on how we view the situation and how we respond. So what's the next step? If you find yourself in a difficult or uncertain life situation right now, don't try to figure it all out on your own. Ask God to show you the next step for today. It's about baby steps and looking at today. What's my next step today? As human beings, when things don't go as we hope to plan, we usually respond in two ways. We either freeze and do nothing, or we go into fight and flight mode. Now, I've been guilty of that one a lot. When we start trying to do everything we can think of to fix the situation, It's okay if we don't have all the answers, and it's okay if we don't have it all figured out. We just need to take that next step. It reminds me of a song from an old Christmas animation, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, that comes on TV each year at the holidays, and 
the old mean guy in the, in the movie is telling Chris Kringle that he's really mean and, and despicable creature and at heart, and it's really difficult to change. Chris Kringle tells him that changing is as easy as taking your first step. And line in the song, I'd sing it to you, but you wouldn't want to hear that. It says, put one foot in front of the other, soon you'll be walking across the floor. And, um, you know, that is, that's so true. Maybe your next step is just looking at this day and counting today's blessings, whatever that might be. Place to live, a job, a family, food in the cabinets, fuel in the tank, clothes to wear, a hot shower, good health. Maybe your next step is to start or start something that you've been putting off, but you don't know how it needs to happen. Maybe the next step for you is deciding that you're going to place your faith and trust in God because you never have considered that as an option. If so, then that best place to start is right now and take that great next step. God is in control. Nothing about your life or your circumstances caught him off guard or by surprise. He loves you. He wants the best for you. And we can trust him. He knows the big picture, and he knows us better than we know ourselves. So what is your next step for today? You can do it. Friends, God is speaking to you right now. You're not sure if you're saved. Well, we're going to give you that chance right now. I want to pray with each and every one of you right now. And we're going to make sure that you are saved and on your way to heaven. Pray with me right now if you're not sure, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you want to make him your Lord and Savior, pray with me right now. Lord Jesus Forgive me for my sins. Lord, I want to be a Christian. I want to spend eternity in heaven with you. Father, take out my old heart. Give me a new heart. Give me a purpose and a plan for my life. I want to serve you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Friends, if you prayed that prayer, then we want to hear from you right now. Give us a call. 618 618- 383-2107. In 1996, my mom, Lena McKay, went home to be with Jesus. She was a dear saint of God and She was so proud of all her kids, and she loved to hear me play guitar. A lot of times when I'd go by and visit Mom, we'd end up on the front porch or sitting on the couch, and quite often she would say, son, get the guitar and play my song. I didn't have to ask what song she was talking about. I knew exactly. And this is dedicated to my mom, Lena McKay.
right, friends, I know you enjoyed today's program, and what a great couple Dennis and Leslie McKay are. They are awesome friends of ours, and they want to be your friends. So, hey, do me a favor. Give them a call. They'd love to hear from you. 662-889-2829. If you just need prayer or if you just want to encourage them, uh, give them a call. They would love to hear from you. They've got a studio and... uh, they are owners of Mac Records there in Columbus, Mississippi, and they would love to hear from you. And I want to end today's program with uh, this song here, and I just love the way Dennis McKay does it. Uh, he does an awesome job of singing this. This is a Vince Gill song called Just Tell Me One More Time About Jesus. Tell me one more time about Jesus All about forgiveness and grace Tell me one more time about Jesus Lord, I need a little more faith Here comes my old friend, the preacher He's knocking at my door Out trying to save all the sinners He's been here so many times before I love the easy conversation sure can tell Brings up my need for salvation Even though he knows I'm stubborn to fault So tell me one more time about Jesus All about forgiveness and grace Tell me one more time about Jesus Lord, I need a little more faith Walk by the church Sunday morning Slipped on in Sinners, come on down the aisle So I went running for the altar Should have seen my old friend, the preacher, smile So tell me one more time about Jesus All about forgiveness Grace, tell me one more time about Jesus. Lord, I need a little more faith. Lord, I need.